It's time for the Mean Streets Podcast, presented by Full Moon Barbecue. For the only podcast with an inside look at Crimson Tide basketball all season long, turn to the Mean Streets. Britton Johnson and William Galloway take you from tip to buzzer with complete coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball team. Here's your host, William Galloway. Week 13 of the Mean Streets Podcast, presented by Full Moon Barbecue. I'm William Galloway, joined with the legend Alabama basketball player Britton Johnson. BJ, happy Sunday, happy week 13. Things are trending in the right direction. What's up? What's up, Willie G? I, I mean, yeah, certainly trending in the right direction. Big, big win last night. And, uh, you know, couldn't – I mean, I don't think it would be possible to be trending in the wrong direction after Tuesday. I mean, it can't get much more of a low point than that. Uh, so, really tough way to start the week, but a really strong finish the week, obviously. 14-7 and seven overall, 5-4 and four in conference play. The loss at Georgia on Tuesday, the final score to that was 76-82. to 82. The win over Baylor on Saturday night in Coleman Coliseum, the first sellout of the year, by the way, in Coleman Coliseum, 87-78 to 78 over the Baylor Bears in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The SEC came out on top of that challenge, which is great for the league as well. Britain, you hinted at it, but let's go ahead and dive into the fact that Tuesday was definitely one of the worst losses in recent program history. Um, I'd say the, probably the worst one since Norfolk State a couple of years back in Avery Johnson's last game. But bouncing back, getting a top five win at home over Baylor. Um, take me through the roller coaster of this week and how the lack of success translated to having tons of success um, from Tuesday to Saturday. Yeah, I mean, according to Ken Palm, you'd be correct in saying that uh, this was the worst loss since uh, Norfolk State. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, there was no way to really sugarcoat it. It, it definitely wasn't our best game and uh, was a really disappointing loss. And, you know, I, I mentioned this on a previous episode, but it, it just kind of speaks to it is, it is hard to win on the road in the SEC. And it doesn't really matter who you're playing. You have to go and take that game from them because – you know, Georgia was 0-6 in conference prior to this game. But if you look at the if you look at the scores of those games, there were a lot of games they were in, and then and then the last like eight minutes hit and they just kind of fell apart or whatever. The other team would go on a run and they would just kind of drop the game. Um, so we knew that they were kind of due one, but uh, obviously we didn't want it to be us and and it shouldn't have been us in, in all honesty. Uh, but you know, they played great. So credit to them on that. Um and I just we, we just didn't have our best game. And then, um, you know, I hate to, to come back after all these losses and say, um, man, we had just this great conversation. We had a great locker room talk about, you know, I really think we did. And I, I think we had some breakthrough there. And uh, really, I think we grew closer together through that. And I think that there was real concrete change that came from that um, leading into this Baylor game on Saturday. And, um, you know, I think. Thursday and Friday were two of the chippiest practices we had had in uh, in months. I mean, I can't even really remember the last one that was chippy from the standpoint of, like, guys were just all over the floor for loose balls, like, just making tough play after tough play in practice. And it, it set us up really, really well for the game Saturday. So before we get into talking about Baylor and how big of a win that was and everything that went into that, and we can talk about those practices as well, um, a recent trend we've kind of talked about briefly on past podcasts, and you talked about 
practices and things like that and measures that have been taken to ensure better three-point shooting, but a 26.5% clip uh, in that Georgia game in Athens kind of continuing to struggle from beyond the arc. Um, Certain guys especially struggled from behind the line. Now, Shaq was 66% going six of nine from three, um, but nobody else hit more than one. So what before we get into Baylor, and I have one more question after this, uh, regarding recent struggles, and then we can talk about successes. But what has been the discussion amongst coaches and players and staff members about the three-point shooting percentage? You know, we we have great shooters. I think I think everyone who who watches us, who has watched us throughout the year, would recognize that. And it, what I tell people about shooting, and and I, I certainly am not the master of it necessarily, but uh, you know, I think it's true is that 70 to 80% of shooting is confidence. You know, the other 20 to 30% is this baseline layer of, of skill when it comes to shooting. And there is an element of like getting the reps in to make sure that you have this confidence. But, um, when you get to this level, the difference between guys that are shooting at a really high clip and guys that are, uh, capable shooters that are just missing, it's a confidence thing. It's a mental thing. And, um, and so we're just really working to instill confidence in our guys and, and make sure we're taking good shots that help instill confidence in players. You know, if you're taking bad shots, um, granted, you might make one every once in a while, but it, ultimately your percentages will drop and that doesn't help give you confidence. But if you take good shots that that render high percentages, uh, they're going to fall if, if you're a good shooter and we have great shooters. And so um, really just trying to build confidence and, and, Look, I think we kind of got our swagger back on Saturday. I know we're going to talk about it in a minute, but um, I think that that was a really big game for us moving forward. I agree. And another thing I want to address real quickly that I've heard uh, from fans, and obviously as a, as a team member, you don't really listen to the outside noise. You don't listen to what the fans are saying because it's all about what Coach Oates and his staff are saying. But a lot of fans miss that leadership of Herb Jones, John Petty, Alex Reese, Jordan Bruner, and those guys. What can you talk – and we know how great they were, right? We don't have to spend this podcast talking about what they brought to the program over the last four seasons. Um, but to to the fans' point of, hey, we're missing leadership, guys, what what would be your response to that in the, in the fact that there are a lot of guys that graduated, but there are also a lot of guys on this team that have experience. They, you've got guys that have won an SEC regular season and tournament championship, and then guys that have played, you know, in deep turner in a deep tournament run as well. What's the leadership, your two cents on that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're constantly working on. Um, you know, I, I look at myself as someone who is uh, somewhat of a leader on this team, and and I'm more of a lead by example kind of guy trying to do the the right thing and um hopefully that that leads to others doing the right thing i'm not necessarily a vocal guy but i remember after that georgia game uh in particular i was like i need to step up and be better at being a vocal leader and calling out bad behaviors and stuff and i think there's an element of that uh among a lot of guys on the team that are like i can be better in this way or that way when it comes to leadership um and and we saw it in the last few days and then granted you know it's been less than a week so it has to carry on for for weeks on end before it becomes a real habit but um and i'll say this like we have a lot of guys that are really working hard to lead and and you know i'll commend Shaq a lot on that i think that's something that he um 
it's a little bit outside of his comfort zone to really be a vocal leader in that way. And I've just seen over the course of the season him evolving and becoming a better and better leader for this team. Um, and I think he'd be the first to tell you that he hasn't arrived where he needs to yet, but it's the work and the effort he is showing to be that leader that that I really respect and value in him. And and I think, you know, by the end of the year, he'll even be a sharper and better leader than he is now. And I think one thing it's important for fans to remember, too, is that it's not always the guy who's the leading scorer, the leading rebounder that is necessarily the leader for the program, the leader in the locker room and things like that. So I commend you for taking a step in that direction and uh, helping fans kind of understand that perspective as well. So let's get to the exciting part, the Baylor game, 87 to 78, as we mentioned, over Scott Drew and the defending national champion, now number four team in the country. It was the second top five win of the season for Alabama. And I tell you what, Britton, it looked crazy. I had to watch it on TV, but it was a sellout. It was a whiteout. The students were going crazy. Got to give a shout out to Will Allman, who was crowd surfing in the student section. Take me into the environment and walk me through tip to buzzer. What happened to make us so successful in the win over Baylor? Yeah, I mean, it was it was the best game we have played in a very long time. Uh, to kind of put it simply, I, I, in terms of defensive intensity, I don't know that that any game we have played has matched that level of intensity and, and effort, and I was just so proud of that. Um, I, you'd have to go back to the Georgia – or not Georgia, ugh, definitely not Georgia – Gonzaga or Houston game to kind of see that level of effort, but – I don't know. I think that this one might have even been better just in terms of like, man, I was so proud of so many individual guys and the way that they were flying around and playing so hard. If you look at the stat sheet, we didn't even shoot great. We really did not shoot the ball great that game. And then to be honest, Baylor did. Baylor shot the ball very well. They're a fantastic team. I think they're as good as any team in the country um, just because they don't beat themselves. Like they are so solid in what they do. They're so good in what they do. And they're always going to put themselves in a, in a position to have a chance to win a game. So for us to play as well as we did and kind of get them in a little bit of a hole early in the second half and, and make it where they were have to play just unbelievably well to come come back and win it. Um, I was just so proud of so many of our guys. Like I said kind of earlier, I, I think this is the game where we kind of got our swagger back a little bit as a team. You look at JQ, who's uh, – I mean, I think he'd be the first to tell you he's been in a bit of a slump recently and has, has kind of struggled at times. Um, man, I was so proud of him. He just played so well, uh, finished with 20 points, I believe, um, along with just a pretty full stat sheet. And and he shot the ball pretty well. And, and more than anything, I mean, his defense, his on-ball defense throughout the whole game was unbelievable. He was guarding uh, Akinjo, who is a great player for Baylor who has been their leading scorer for the majority majority of the year. And he is, I mean, he's, he's great. And, and the way JQ guarded him and pressured him the whole game. Um, he held him to eight points. And those eight points didn't come until the last 10 minutes of the game. And, and that's not to take away from those eight points or, or their value within the game. That's just to say, I mean, JQ stepped up and, and he was awesome. I mean, Shaq, uh, just played unbelievably hard and, and his effort. I mean, he, I don't think he had a great first half score in the ball. He finished uh, with a great stat line, 
but it was after he had already just set the tone with his hustle and effort. He had 21 and a half blue collar points, I believe, in the first half. In the first half, he finished uh, easily winning the hard hat. I think he had 28 and a half or something like that. But it was a phenomenal game from him. Uh, it was great to have Mass Juan in there, uh, Jawan Gary coming back, and and just so many guys chipped in. I mean, I could I could go down the line. Keon Ellis played great. This was it's one of those games where every single person that stepped on the court made a positive contribution towards the win. And um, you know what I was also proud of is the guys that didn't play um, and the energy that they had on the bench. And it was just like everybody was pulling in the same direction. It's something that we have been missing a little bit recently. And I think that's partially why, you know, I'd say that our swagger has been missing. And um, so it was just a fantastic win. You know, I think Baylor is, like I said, as good of a team as there is in the country. And uh, I mean, they're going to have a chance to make another run this year. So uh, they're really, really good, but it was just a phenomenal win for us. And a couple things just running through the stat sheet here of guys that impressed me. Some you mentioned, some you didn't. Noah Gurley played 20 minutes, only had four points, but was a great presence on defense um, and led, in my mind, had a huge was a huge piece of the puzzle in getting stops when we needed to get stops and just being that presence um, to turn the ball away from the paint and to stop what was a very – solid, very based Baylor team. Uh, J.D. had two big threes. Uh, you mentioned Shackelford, 19 points on only one of seven from the three-point line. Usually if you hear of a guy like Shaq going one of seven from three, there's no way he has. he's even in double-digit scoring. But finding a way, his touch was absolutely fantastic on all his close finishes. Finishes. I know that's something he's struggled with in games past and years past. And so seeing him kind of get that touch um, was something that was really special to see. But let's talk about Mask Juan. Juwan Gary coming back with that mask. He had 15 and three, and all three of those rebounds were offensive. Uh, he was seven of eight from the field, just absolutely phenomenal. So much fun to watch, and the energy he plays with um, has it's it's infectious. I mean, even from somebody that didn't play in the game yesterday, I'm sure you were feeding off what he was putting out on the court. Yeah, I mean, most definitely. Uh, and it's something that with him playing as hard as he did, and it wasn't that I didn't notice. I definitely noticed it. And by the end of the game, it was like, man, Juan is having a game. But it was like the collective unit of all five guys were playing so hard. A guy that I didn't mention earlier, J.D. Davison, was just all over the place. He was all over the place. And it's just like, man, when, when you're a freshman, it, you're not going to be a perfect defender. You just you just won't you do, you won't have the details and it's not that you don't have the IQ because he's a very smart player but it's just really hard to be a great defender at the college level as a freshman. Um, but what you can do is just fly around and, and make up for a lot of the mistakes you're inevitably going to make with effort and hustle and heart and and man JD did that at a phenomenal level yesterday. I mean he was all over the floor. Um, he was making his shots. I just thought that was one of the best games JD's had in Alabama uniform. He was just great. But, but yeah, kind of getting back to Juan, I mean, you know, we kind of thought that this would be the game he would get back for. That's kind of what uh, was the common belief among the team. Uh, getting to see him put on the mask was, was pretty cool. Um, you know, it's one of those things that 
wearing a mask in a game. I'm sure it was super uncomfortable for him, but it looks really cool. He had the fro going a little bit. And he, I mean, just blue-collar Gary back all over the floor. I mean, he was making every single hustle play we needed him to make. I think on film today we showed a play where he blocked a shot on one end, sparking a transition. And then I think they got like a block on the layup attempt, and he was right there for the offensive rebound and put back. And it's like to go end to end like that and make the play on both ends is really impressive. And it speaks to what he can do as a player and the impact he can have on the, on any game. And so, you know, you think about some of the, the biggest games we've had this year, and he has been right at the center of us winning those games. And so we're definitely going to need him to, to stay playing at a just stellar level for us to go far uh, this season and this postseason. And that starts Tuesday night at Auburn, 8 p.m. on ESPN versus the number one team in the country. No doubt in my mind they will um, remain at the top uh, in terms of rankings in college basketball. Not the net. Now, they're not number one in the net. We can talk about that. I think they're eight. They might never up a little bit in the net. Um, but huge game, obviously. You know, your former high school teammate, Leor Berman, um, hopefully we'll get to see him and maybe we'll get a BJ versus Leor matchup. But Britain – I mean, Auburn is playing very well. Now, there's certainly – I mean, Oklahoma had them on the ropes for a little bit before Auburn really took it off yesterday in the second half. I don't know how much of that game you watched. Um, they're beatable, but they're certainly talented and they're certainly explosive and playing in that environment. Um, you know, a couple mistakes can lead to a wide-open point spread uh, if you're not careful. So talk to us about Auburn. Talk to us about the film you all watched today and things to look out for uh, in this matchup this week. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Auburn's just a phenomenal team. Uh, and, and one thing that's just evident, I mean, they, they play incredibly hard. They play for each other. They play a very fun brand of basketball. And it, I, I kind of hate saying it. Um, but it's true. I mean, it, it, like they play a, a great brand of basketball. And so they are a really good team, a really good unit. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to have to put together 40 minutes of high, high level basketball to win this game. You can play 36 minutes of great basketball and four minutes, like a one four minute stretch where you're just not playing, playing well. You let them score. You let them do whatever. And all of a sudden you've completely lost the game. And so you're going to have to put together a 40-minute um, just great effort to win this game. And, and the good news, I think we're capable of it. Um, but it will take a lot. This is no easy test, especially, you know, at Auburn, um, you know, in front of their uh, less than 10,000 people. But in front of dozens and dozens of people. No, but all joking aside, it is a very tough environment. Um, and that place gets raucous, especially for, for games like this one. Um, you know, it'll be the type of game where you go out there 90 minutes before tip and the entire student section is already wrapped around, uh, letting you hear it the whole 90 minutes. Um, and so it'll be a very fun environment. I mean, this, this is why you play college basketball. It's for games like this. And so, um, yeah, I mean, th they got us at our place. Um, they let us know about it. Um, so it'll be a fun one Tuesday. I, uh, it'll definitely be a very tough game for us to win. And, and look, they're number one in the country. So, I mean, if, if you were – I'm sure Vegas will have them favored by more than a few points, and, and they'd be justified in doing so. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think 
we'll be playing uh, at a high level. I think I think we'll be ready to to go out there and, and give it our best. Um, that's for sure. I know Coach Oates has mentioned this before. Coach Saban preaches this. It's something he lives by. But if you need external factors as motivation, then you're not a true competitor. Um, and obviously there will be more than enough external factors as we think about Auburn coming into Coleman, getting that win, hitting the Crimson Crane, doing all that obnoxious, crazy stuff, as you should in a rivalry game when you win on the road. Um, but there's going to be a lot of noise going into this game. And if you allow that to get in your head, if you allow that to happen, then there will be problems. Um, but I mean, I know that you and your teammates are set. You and your teammates are determined. And obviously you've got that chip on your shoulder because they got you in the first round. And now in round two, you're ready to ready to go fight again. Uh, Britton, let me ask you about a couple plays that you see Auburn run all the time. And whether it's just defense or I don't know exactly what, but how do you stop the short corner um, big man short corner lobs, so to speak, or coming from the block, coming from opposite side. You've got a guy driving middle or um, a guy driving from the wing, and the big men always seem to get lost, lose. Uh, generally, it's Kessler, and then Auburn can always find their way to find an alley-oop. What is one way to stop that, and is that something that you all have looked at in terms of things that Auburn, things that Auburn has done well to have offensive success? Well, you know, like I said earlier, they just play really, really well together. Um, and, you know, Walker Kessler, is a, is a, he's a great player. Um, look, I'm sure he's going to want to have a better performance against us this time. He, it, although they got the win, he, he probably had one of his worst performances of the year. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you that um, against us. And I'm so I'm sure at home he will want to really ball out. Um, and he is, he's led him in scoring the last five games. So he is playing at an extremely high level. Um, he moves really well without the ball. I mean, most of his points come um, from him rolling to the basket or him reshaping around the basket. Um, the first thing I would tell you in terms of how to stop that play is to never let the first guy get downhill. I mean, pretty much all of the lobs come from the driver, whoever it is, let's say it's Wendell Green, um, pretty much driving by whoever's guarding them and, and getting a blow by. And then the guy who is guarding the big having to step up to help on the play. So when you have any kind of rotation, it usually starts with someone getting beaten. Um, and so obviously someone got beat on the play. And, and so the next thing that needs to happen is the guy who's guarding the backside corner needs to come in and smash. We call it a smash down. So, pretty much sit on his legs to make sure that he doesn't have an ability to catch a lob because there's no one guarding him if, if you don't do that. So um, definitely, like I said, for, for them to play as well as they do together, to beat a team like that, you have to just be all on the same page, all five guys. And so um, defensively speaking, we're going to have to be rotating, moving on a string, if you will, so that everyone is constantly on the same page and, and just playing their butts off. And then you talk about uh, just winning on the road in the SEC. Obviously, this uh, a very crazy environment. Um, but no rest for the weary is Saturday. Kentucky comes to town. And somebody that in your time, in your three years, uh, three and a half years now on the team, you've seen a lot of wins, a lot of Alabama wins over Kentucky, more than most players saw in the last decade that played for the program uh, for a full four years. 
I know you aren't you aren't scouting Kentucky yet, um, but for our listeners later in the week, what can they look forward to um, for Alabama as they match up against a high quality team when the Wildcats come to Tuscaloosa on Saturday night at seven p.m. Yeah, I mean, I think every time we've gone to talk about the team that we're playing, you know, to, a, a game away, um, I would say, you know, we're 100% focused on the game we're playing now. And and obviously that couldn't be more true than it is for this game against Auburn. Um, but if any of you watched the game last night, I mean, my goodness, Kentucky looked unbelievable in Fog Allen. Um they absolutely dismantled Kansas for 40 minutes. I mean, they looked like the best team in college basketball um, over that 40-minute stretch, and, and they're only getting healthier. They're only getting better. So um, I'll say this. I think without going – we have we haven't been scouting them, but I can tell you that when the scout comes, the first thing is Oscar Shibwe is a problem. He is a problem that uh, we're going to have to deal with. We have There are a lot of problems on this Auburn team we have to deal with, uh, Jabari Smith being a, a main one. I don't, but, I don't think Tuscaloosa uh, PD on game day with all their traffic stops could stop him. Not Jabari Smith, but Kentucky's guy, Shigway, or however you say it. I mean, that guy is a force, and if he wanted to, he could get 30 rebounds a game. He is just a rebounding animal. I mean, he is, he is a force of nature. And so um, that is not one of those things that you just say, oh, Charles, this is your job for the game. This is a team effort. Good luck, Chuck. Him out of the paint. Right. It's a team effort to get him out of the paint and, and keep him from getting rebounds. And um, he, he's unbelievable. So it, it starts with him. They have a fantastic team top to bottom, though. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, what a three-game stretch we have. I mean, this is – Again, this is why you play college basketball. Um, you know, we we have the toughest schedule in the country this year. And um, ironically, the games we're dropping for the most part are the games we shouldn't, the games that we should take care of. So um, who knows? But but it's, it's going to be a really fun week for Alabama basketball fans. And I think uh, you'll see us playing with a, a good deal of swagger and hustle and, and really everything you want from a basketball team this week. And so um, – I'm hoping we can pull out a couple of wins, but at a minimum, I'm just hoping we play to the standard that, that we've kind of built. At this rate, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss canceled on us the following week, and after that'll be after next week's episode, but we just play the Golden State Warriors or something uh, in February and just start an NBA schedule because that's how hard this year has been. Britton, that's uh, that's a look at last week. That's a look at this week and what's to come. Let's go ahead and uh, – Ease, ease off the gas a little bit, have a little more fun uh, with some takes. I, I've got I've got Brian Kelly. I'm going to jump to football, and um, and I guess this isn't really a take, so we probably need to rename this segment, even though it really doesn't have a segment name. Uh, Brian Kelly needs to stop. He, he just – the recruiting videos, I mean, it, it, it needs to come to an end. I don't really know what to say other than it's disturbing. Um, and it's uh, – I don't know, man. He is he is just not fit to run an SEC program, especially some school that claims to have as much swag as LSU does. But, man, he is atrocious, and he just needs to stop. That's all I'm going to say. Me and my family. Me and my family. Man, you lived in Illinois. 
last year, like two weeks ago. You didn't sound like this. Get out of here. It's bad. Uh, You know, if you want to hear a a life lesson from this podcast, I'll say this. Be yourself, because if you try to be some other version of yourself or try to um, be a type of person that just does not fit your character, uh, especially if you have any kind of stage or spotlight on you, it will be exposed. And it, if you're on Twitter, it will be mocked in a hilarious and um, self-deprecating And at way. that age, just don't go dance with recruits on a recruiting video. Like, who knows? You may not even be there by the time they're a sophomore. I mean, he's going to struggle mightily. We don't even have to talk about the fact it's not even football season, but, man, LSU's going to struggle. He's a good coach, or so they say. But he hasn't played SEC ball week in and week out. He just – he needs to stop. That's that's my take. And my also other semi-take is that Bruce Pearl's eight-year contract uh, is well-deserved, but it is also – you might want to throw an asterisk next to that because a long-term contract in college athletics can be dangerous. Now, like I said, he deserves it. He's sent Auburn to the Final Four. But, man, you might be paying him, you know, upwards of $6 million, even $7 million later in that contract, and he might be putting out maybe 15 win seasons. I don't know. I don't know what eight years from, from now is going to look like. Um, but to lock somebody in for that long is somewhat dangerous. I, I kind of disagree with you on that one. And, and I'm not going to go too much into the details of, a coach for my rival school. And, um, but you look at the history of Auburn basketball and it's, it's pretty dreadful. I mean, it's like Charles Barkley and it's like, that's it. That is it. Um, they, they don't have much of their name. If you were to go through power five schools with the, the least uh, basketball history, it's kind of ironic. They're calling themselves a blue blood now um, because prior to Bruce Pearl, they really did not have a lot of success. And, and, to give Bruce Pearl just an unbelievable amount of credit, the culture he's built down there and, and kind of what he's built in that program and the, and the way he's recruiting, especially in the state of Georgia, uh, he's really just built a stronghold for um, his home he, state of Georgia. Right. It's his home state. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, he's really turned that into a top notch program, which, you know, this is an Alabama basketball podcast. So I'm sure everybody's listening to this is like groaning and whatever else. And you're probably right to do so. It's really fun to watch Auburn lose in any sport. But at the same time, it makes the rivalry so much better when both teams are competing at a high level. So ultimately, it's it's really fun to have, you know, played against – I can't imagine um, playing against those Tony Barbie teams instead of Bruce Pearl's teams. Like, it's just a different level, right? And so, um, you know – I can't say I'm happy for for Auburn and for Bruce Pearl, but at the same time, I think he is deserving. Well, yeah, and I will say this too, just because I can, because I'm not putting on the uniform on Tuesday night. Um, I so half of these fans, you know, four thousand of these eight thousand fans that are going to be in attendance on Tuesday night may not know who Tony Barbie is because they didn't watch basketball before 2017. So that's just me. That's my two cents. What's your take? What's your what's on your mind? Um, what do you need to get off your chest? Maybe that's what we should call this segment. Get it off your chest. Well, this is, I mean, this is a this is a good thing, right? Um, but to see a sold out Coleman on Saturday, uh, and and really when the crowd is all into it, because I feel like there's some games where the attendance numbers are pretty high, but there's still a good chunk of people that aren't fully invested into the game. 
Um, but when everybody is fully invested into the game and when, you know, it's a sold out or close to sold out crowd, you realize that, you know, we can talk about how great or how not great of an arena Coleman Coliseum is and how it's old and whatever else. But man, it is a top notch, you know, college venue. It really is in, it, in terms of an atmosphere at a high level game. And, and yesterday really showcased that. Uh, it was rocking all 40 minutes. Every time they went on a mini run, our, our fans got back, got us back into it and gave us energy. And every time we got on a mini run, they got on their feet. They got loud to, to help bolster that run and to help turn a mini run into a full-on 10-point run or whatever. And so um, the fans were absolutely awesome. Uh, the students were electric the whole game. I mean, like you said, uh, Will was, you know, crowd surfing through the stands. I mean, it was it was just a very fun place to be. It's a shame you couldn't have made it. Uh, I'm sure you had other things to tend to, but um, yeah, but, but yeah. I'll be, I'm planning to be in Lexington. I'm planning to be in Tuscaloosa next week. I'm planning to be in Tuscaloosa um, on the 12th for Arkansas. And also you couldn't catch me dead in Auburn right now. And so uh, I will not be in attendance Tuesday night. I'll watch that one from the projector downstairs. I understand that part. Um, but yeah. I think it'll be a fun one. So, uh, yeah. we'll no, I'm excited. It is it is one of the best environments, and I point to the Colin Sexton Trey Young game as that was the most electric I saw Coleman in my four years. That was my freshman year, and uh, what a game! What an environment! That was also a whiteout. Um, I would imagine if I were there Saturday night versus Baylor, it would have been very similar to that Oklahoma experience. Uh, Britton, tonight's mailbag question comes from my mother because she asked me to share a mailbag question. And if I don't, well, uh, she's my mother. So I owe her at least that. She wants you to explain blue collar points. Obviously, everyone talks about it. Uh, you've got the hard hat winner and all these things, but go down. I think she wants to know the point system. And I think a lot of fans uh, would be interested to know the point system as well. Maybe we've hinted at it at previous podcasts here on the Main Street Podcast, but I think it's one through four. So take me through what is uh, what action in a game is what value on the blue-collar point scale. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm sure, mess up a couple of these and and whatever, but I kind of have an idea on most of them. So a normal rebound, one point, simple enough. Normal steal, I believe just one point. Um, an offensive rebound is one and a half points. Um, a charge is four points. A deflection is, I believe, one point. Um, a floor dive is one point. And what am I missing? Um, a rebound tip is like a half point. I'm sure I'm missing a couple others, but that's how you build this basis for, um, you know, blue collar points and everything else. And so, as a team, you know, when we're playing really well and really hard, we'll get in the 120s. Um, you know, if you're if, as a player, if you're a high minute player um, and you have just an unbelievable blue collar game, you'll be in the 20s somewhere, maybe the 30s. If you're just I mean, that was like the Herb Jones standard was like he had a lot of games in the 30s. And, and I think maybe even one where he hit 40. I mean, it was just he was built a little different. But uh, but yeah, so we have a that's kind of how it is, though. That's kind of the basis of it. I appreciate that. I'm looking at numbers here, doing averages. So 
Entering the Baylor game, Keon Ellis uh, has won the hard hat five times from having the most blue-collar points. When you look at the cumulative blue-collar points total, entering the game before Baylor, entering the Baylor game, so not counting Saturday's win, Keon Ellis has 333.5 total blue-collar points this season. That's an average of six, a little over 16.5 points per game. Um, and, and you mentioned that Herb was generally well over that 20-point mark. Jaden Shackelford is second in cumulative point total at 259.5. Uh, Angry Chuck had 241 entering the Baylor game. And also in over the 200 mark was Darius Miles, who had 219.5. As a team, Alabama has 2019. That, of course, as I mentioned, that was before the Baylor game. So that's an average of 100.1 a game. Um through 20 games. Obviously very impressive, and it's one of those things. You want those floor dives. You want those charges. Uh, Britton, yourself, you have, entering the Baylor game, you have 18, and I think you got a large percentage of that from the charge uh, in the Georgia game, so that was electric. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Mountain Brook for making you take all those charges and practice and games and setting that state record and such. So uh, that that is a little look at blue collar points. Fans, I hope you enjoy that. Mom, I hope you enjoy that as well. And also, um, when you get back from your trip, please let me know. Would love to come have dinner. Um, I think I'm short one night on dinner this week from my trip to the grocery store today. So. Uh, before we head out on the end of this podcast, I want to remind everybody to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Mean Streets Pod. We're going to do full moon barbecue gift, certi- gift certificate giveaways. We're going to continue to do that. I put a bunch in the mail today to go out. I want to thank our friends at Full Moon for sponsoring this podcast. I uh, want to remind you to visit bandwagonsports.com, click on Team Shop, and click on Mean Streets to buy your Mean Streets merchandise today. We've got hats, shirts, pullovers, vest, and even a golf shirt. Uh, and please follow us on social media. Do not follow Britton Johnson Burner. Um, just don't. And uh, that is me for Mean Streets Week 13, uh, brought to you by Full Moon Barbecue. As always, Britton, you've got the last word, so take it away for us. Yeah, this week will be one to remember uh, as an Alabama sports fan. So uh, be sure to watch Tuesday and Saturday. And uh, at a minimum, I promise we'll give you an effort that'll make you proud. So roll time. <laughs>